Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. We're going to be talking about two basic words today, relationships. If you get these two words right, if you pass the math on these two words, you're going to do pretty well in your relationships. It's uh, the word boundaries, and we're going to be talking a bit about that today as we talk about relational health. And the other is servanthood. And they would almost seem to be opposed to one another, but they are not, and they're meant to live together. In fact, both are required uh, for health. And so to have healthy boundaries, you must have an awesome concept and delivery of servanthood. To uh, be a great servant and provide great servanthood in any relationship, whether it's friendship, parenting, sibling, uh, work relationships, of course, marriage, you have to have boundaries. And boundaries keep servanthood healthy and servanthood keeps boundaries healthy. These two things are incredibly important. We won't be using their terms too much as we go through. I want to use a couple of terms that are going to rather be more uh, supportive to getting balance because the huge key between these two things is just this word balance. And in relationships, we're erring more than, more than likely in one of these categories and we are going to dive a little bit into that today. Let me start with a little bit of a story uh, about a man and I think you may relate, some of you. There was a man who his daughter grew up to be a beautiful woman. She went in one day with these words to her that every father of a daughter dreads. Dad, I've met the guy I'm going to marry. Right. That's the big, scary thing every father is going to have. He said, oh, I don't even know who he is. She said, well, I want you to meet him. So uh, I don't even, he's wonderful. And uh, dad says, well, how am I going to meet him? She said, he's coming to our house tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock. I set up an interview. Dad says, okay, this will be interesting. So the next day at three o'clock, the young man knocks at the door. The father says, hi. The young man says, hi. My name is Larry, and I want to marry your daughter. That is not a good way to start. But the father says, right, Larry, come on in, have a seat. I'm really glad you're here because if you're marrying my daughter, my wife and I raised our daughter in such a way that we want to make sure that anybody who marries her is the right guy. So I have questions for you. The young man says, fire away, sir. I have no secrets. Not a good, uh, can we say, start again. The first question, what do you do? Do you have a job? Uh, What do you do? Uh, I don't know anything about you. My wife and I want to make sure you're somebody who's got some kind of direction to their life. Do you, like, have a career? And the young man says, uh, not really. I I don't work really. I I just don't. I I don't have a career. But God will provide. (laughs) Mm, Okay. Let me tell you that God will provide is called playing the God card. Have you ever had that played against you? That God will provide. Because it put 
my dad in this story, he put the dad in sort of this conflict. Because when somebody says stuff like that, sometimes you think that you're talking to an angel or I'm talking to somebody who needs a lot of medication. (laughs) The God card is a hard card to deal with. And the people that play it know it. So the father says, okay, I'll give him a pass on that one. Uh, Question two, what are your assets? Like, uh, do you have like... uh, uh, what do you got going here like in, in, in what you have in your life? I want to make sure my daughter has some kind of foundation so that uh, she can actually move ahead with her dreams and things like that. Do you have money in the bank, stocks and bonds, real estate? Like what do you have? Sir, I, I don't have anything. I don't have money in the bank. I don't have stocks. I don't have bonds. I don't have real estate. I don't have any of that stuff. But God will provide. So now the dad's sweating bullets. He's getting a little bit scared here. Okay, son, third question. What are your dreams, your goals, your aspirations? What do you dream about? What are you going to go? Where are you going to go in life? <clears throat> because we want to make sure our daughter is somebody who's going to go somewhere. You guys are going to get out there and make some things happen, and you're going to accomplish something and achieve something. What's your ambition, your dreams, your goals, your, your, your aspirations? Sir, uh, I don't have any of those No dreams, no goals, no aspirations. But guess what? God will provide. So the meeting ends. The young man leaves and dad's sitting there in a chair traumatized. (laughs) The wife comes in and says, honey, how did the meeting go with this young man? He said, honey, there's some bad news and there's some good news. She said, well, give me the bad news first. He said, well, there's a lot of bad news. This guy's got no job, no assets, no goals, no dreams, no aspirations. Now the wife is traumatized. (laughs) Honey, that's horrible. What on earth is the good news, he said. Well, there is some good news. She said, what could it be? He said, he thinks I'm God. (laughs) (laughs) Now that might reside a little close to home for for you today. Uh, It does illustrate some things that we want to pay attention to. Um, Because in every relationship where it's starting to make you feel real crazy, there are relationships can make you feel crazy. There are crazy making relationships. And, and, And when you are in a relationship with someone who expects you to be God, expects you to take responsibility for some area in their life that they should be taking responsibility for, they're playing the God card. They're saying, God will provide. God will provide. But somehow it's always you that's called on in that relationship of friendship or parenting or sibling or employment or marriage where you are the one providing. So in some area where they should take responsibility, they're saying, you be God in my money. I've got financial problems. You solve them. Be God in my personality. I've got a strange personality. You fix it. Be God in my failures. I have lots of problems and you solve all my problems. Be God in the fact that I can't get a job because I have a low work ethic. Be God in my emotional issues. The problem is, 
it makes you crazy when you're around those kinds of people because it should make you crazy. It should make you like, are you kidding me? God never intended for you to be God for anybody or to take responsibility for their life. Just think about a person as we work our way through this talk today on boundaries, servanthood, and a couple of elements that we need to look at. Kind of think about a person so that you got them to kind of think as you go through their practices and and so on towards you. Here's a question for you. Right now as we speak, who in your life is asking you to be God? Who's asking you to take care of their money Their financial problems, their emotional problems, their unhappiness, their moments of I'm miserable. Who's demanding that you take care of them and take too much responsibility? That's a hard question to ask ourselves because we find that often we that we accept this role of being God over things that God never intended for us to be God over and it does drive us nuts. The Bible says there's a far better way. It never works if you take the other way and you're going to be God. There is a better way. Solomon says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. In other words, it's important to guard yourself. That's an interesting word. There's a healthy application here of that word. Now in that it starts off this scripture with above all else. So you know the Bible which is above all else says above all else. Take note. Guard your heart. Pretty powerful stuff. What is your heart? Your heart is the inner person, the inner man, the inner woman. It's your core values are in your heart. Your feelings, your emotions are in your heart. Your thoughts, your decisions, they're all in your heart. Your life is in your heart. It says guard your heart for from it flow the wellsprings of life. If somebody is telling you to take care of their life and it's making you kind of nuts... It's probably because you're not guarding your heart the right way. So we want to talk about how you do that. Because often this is something that's eating your life up and you're not able to live the dreams and the things that God's got for you to do because you're spending it all on being God for somebody else. We're talking about relational health today. On Wednesday night, last Wednesday, I said, nobody's allowed to bang rotten tomatoes or darts or CO2 guns today. Because we want to get close to your home. We want to get close to the heart of the matter of how you do relationship. So let's start with just taking a vision, a look at a vision for the way God did design relationships. God put two elements into every relationship so they wouldn't drive you nuts. And here is that element. The first one is grace. 
It's just, it's grace. First Peter 4.10 tells us, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Do you see that? We're not going to be so much here today, but see how it says, serve others. If you want to make good relationships, you've got to be good at this practice, and that's got to come from the heart. You've got to be like Jesus who can see that the servant didn't show up to wash the feet, and you notice it, and you from the heart are on it. You'll do it quietly. You'll do it without fanfare. You just do it. You see that right away. That's not where we're going to spend a lot of our time uh, today, but note that in the scripture. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So what is grace? Well, it's my granddaughter to start with. Grace is basically the reality that God is for you. He's on your team. God is for you. He's for you. Even when you don't think he should be for you, he's for you. Even when you are not for him, he's for you. He's on your side. No matter what you do, he's still on the team. He's still there. Grace means that there is nothing I can do to make God happy so he'll love me more. He won't love me anymore if I perform well. On the other hand, grace means there's no way I can screw up so bad that he'll love me less. And I need to know that. And you need to come to terms with that. No way can I perform at top levels and he's going to love me more. No way can I screw up royally and he's going to love me less. That's the nature of grace. Grace is something that absolutely uh, gives us the full commodity of God without earned, uh, earned effort. We don't in any way deserve the full effort of God on our behalf. But it's there. It never changes it. Now, grace comes in two forms. The first form is grace comes vertically. Direct, just, just, just you and God. And, and the vertical is when it comes straight from God. It comes from his word, the Bible. It comes from his Holy Spirit, his, his presence in dwelling, himself in you. That's the vertical part of grace for the believer. But there's another part of grace, the horizontal part, where we take grace in from each other and then we give grace. So we take it in and we give it back. That is horizontal. We give it to each other. First Peter's talking about the horizontal grace that we just read. He's saying you need to, you need to do this. We're supposed to be stewards. We're to be the delivery system of the very grace of God. When you let somebody listen to you, when you tell them your story, for instance, like you, you're, you're engaged with this person and you're giving them ear and heart time and uh, they're telling, you, they're giving you their story and sharing, uh, maybe it's their heartaches or their joys, but you're, you're the one that they're sharing it with. And you're not going to condemn and you're not going to judge you're giving them grace. And that person is experiencing grace. They're on the receiving end of that grace. It's the fuel of life. It's the fuel of relationships. Relationships that have great grace have great relationships. It's because you're safe. You're safe. You just think about that. 
condemnation out of a relationship. Take judgment out of a relationship. Now you do have safety. It's a different kind of safety. It's not an earned safety. It's a gift of horizontal grace. They're giving you grace. You don't deserve that from them. But you're getting it. There's a second part of great relationships besides grace. And that's very simply truth. Ephesians 4.15 tells us this. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. What's truth? Truth is just what is. Truth is what's real. There's the truth of physics, gravity. There's the truth that you find in the Bible, eternal, God, source. There's the truth that a wise person tells us something that we don't know. There's the feedback we give each other as friends and people in business and people we're in love with and people we're married to. We give feedback and fill in gaps. We tell the truth. Grace provides the safety we need. You got to have that. But truth provides the structure for change. You need it. So that you don't screw up your life and run off in a ditch. You need truth. God integrates both of these together. And he uses these two tools in your home, but we're especially going to be focusing on boundaries. Because God integrates them together through us learning how to do these things. Grace says, I'm for you no matter what. Truth says, I need to give you some feedback so you don't ruin yourself. We need grace. We need truth. Both of those things is, have to be in balance. Most of the time, though, they get out of balance. And we find it hard to get those balances back. Now let's just deal with reality though. We're talking about sort of the perfect world where these things are harmonized, truth and grace are harmonized in this nice balance in life. Yeah, we've got truth operating in this relationship and we've got grace operating. It's safe. It is truthful. Uh, it's an honest uh, relationship. We can say those things, but they get out of whack because in reality, there are relationships that are going to drive you nuts. Because unfortunately, the balance of grace plus truth doesn't always fit your story. Things go wrong. The first way that we want to look, here's just two of the most important ways that it goes wrong. The first one is out of balance because you have someone in your life who is out of control. It, whether it's the season, whether it's always been, but they're out of control. They, they, the Bible talks a lot about out of control. Romans 13, 13 says, let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. He's saying those are out of control things. And when you got somebody who is out of control, 
This is a relationship in which somebody's behavior or somebody's attitude are just off the scales. They're impulsive. They act out. They're destructive. They destroy people. They destroy balance. They destroy relationships. They trample on the grace. Take advantage of it. They don't listen to the truth. You've got an out-of-control person. The best example of an out-of-control relationship is if you have a relationship with somebody who's caught up in the moments or the season with addiction. If you've got a relationship with them, you understand everything I'm saying because an, an addict is imprisoned by something. We've all, by the way, got things. We have to watch on those margins, don't we not? Alcohol, drugs, pornographies. Certain types of things in our life that we find we need to do to make ourselves feel better and finally they control our lives. And then everything in life then centers around that and then they trample on life. What happens if you love that person is that you're going to think, oh, i got to start taking responsibility for their problems and for their pain and their emotions and i got to take responsibility for their addiction. All of a sudden you become what's called a parent rather than a partner. And you try to fix them. And you enable them. And you rescue them. That is called codependency. Do you recognize the word? You know what codependency is, right? You know what a codependent is? It's somebody, if they're falling off a cliff, someone else's life flashes before their eyes. You know that? Everything gets out of balance. It's horrible because they don't get better. And if you've taken on this parenting role in their life, you don't get better. One guy told a story about a friend that he had. And she had a boyfriend. Nicest guy in the world. But he drank too much. Had a drinking problem. Now how do you know that that person has a drinking problem? Well, it's quite simple. Uh, let me give you a little wisdom on that because I do a lot of diagnostics. Is Every time this person drinks, they get drunk. There's a drinking problem. He doesn't think he has a drinking problem though. He, he thinks he has a problem. You know what he thinks his problem is? He doesn't have a drinking problem. He has a girlfriend nagging me problem. That's his problem. If she just stopped nagging, I could drink and everything would be happy. It's a great relationship, right? So what is she going to do about it? Well, she had a four-point strategy. Number one, when he goes out drinking with the friend... I'm the designated driver I, and I sit there and watch them get drunk and so on. So that's a great night, right? Fun. Fun to watch people who can't speak English very well. So what's the second part of the strategy? She would say, I also have a lot of recovery and celebrate recovery materials. I leave them in his house on the coffee table. Fantastic, because if there's anything an addict really likes to read, it's celebrate recovery material, right? <laughs> Especially if they're in denial. 
Honey, I'm a real screw up. I'm wrecking people's lives. I'm probably going to die early. Can I have some more material? That was second bit of the strategy. What's your third one? A couple times a day to see if he's drinking, uh, I text him. It's three o'clock. Are you drinking? Healing texts. How to heal somebody by texting. How are you doing bad things right now? That's transformative. Five o'clock, are you still drinking? Fourth strategy. Well, he lost his job because he drank too much. So I'll pay the rent for his house for several months to make sure he's comfortable. As they say, that's not working for you. It's not working. She's miserable. She's helpless. He feels like nothing's changing with him. It doesn't work because this doesn't work in the ways God's laws work. That's out of control. There's another kind of problem relationship. It's not the out of control one. It's the someone's controlling someone else problem. Someone is controlling other people, especially you. You have a relationship with someone who is controlling you or attempting to control you. Nobody should ever control you. You have choices. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Here's one of the many benefits of Jesus dying on the cross for us. Said he restored our choice. The power to choose, to have yeses and noes. You should be able to have a voice. You should be free to choose. In any given relationship, you should not be controlled by the other person in the relationship so that you can't show up or you're not showing up. You should be free to say, hey, here's how I want to be respected. You should be free to say, here's how I want to be loved. You should be free in saying these things. That's what Christ actually died for that, for you to be able to do that. But there are people who are not going to want you to have that freedom because it doesn't work with the game plan and the outcome and how, what they actually would love to control about you. And so, you go along to get along. See, if you're going to have a great relational world, then you have to be able to fully show up, no matter what the object of that relationship, no matter what it is. Pretty soon with this type of person, as you go along to get along, and you begin to, if you have another opinion on something or you begin to voice anything else, there's either the blow up or there's either the threat of anger and anger stays in place and you're walking in eggshells in that relationship around that person. How can you do relational life that way? How is that matched with intimacy? There are no rotten tomatoes in here, correct? 
There's two kinds of controlling people. The first kind uses anger. They use anger. A statement might be this, almost an unspoken statement, but if you don't do it my way, I'll be mad at you. If you do it my way, we're fine. If you don't do it my way, uh, you're going to experience my anger and I will be mad at you and I'll escalate. I might blow up. I'll get short with you. I'll withdraw. I'll disconnect. I'll use bad words. I might even get violent. Uh, I'm going to have a tantrum if you don't do things my way. Controlled by anger. Very, very powerful. The second kind is controlled by guilt. Uh, guilt doesn't say, if you don't do it my way, I'll be angry with you. Guilt says, if you don't do it my way, I'll be hurt. I'm not mad, I'm just hurt. Just as powerful, just as strong a control. And if you let it happen in your, in your life that way, you will not have balance. Sort of like, you know, the mom... When she found out her son and her daughter-in-law and family weren't coming to visit her on their holiday because they had chosen that year to go someplace else, says, what? Do you know how long I was in labor with you? <laughs> oh, she's hurt. Which one gets you? Controlled by guilt? Or is it the anger? So whether you've got the out-of-control person in your life, whether it's some impulsive person or whether you've got somebody who's controlling you by anger or somebody who's controlling you by guilt, you don't have a balanced relationship. It's not good for you. Now here's, hear this. And God never intended this. This is where boundaries come in. This is how you restore God's balance. So, uh, yeah, boundaries, right. Yeah, boundaries, right. Isn't that like the, uh, that's the castle and the moat and the alligators, right? It's a real mean thing, right? No. A, a boundary is simply, simply a property line. That's all it is. It's just simply a property line. Everything inside this property line is your responsibility. The electricity, the natural gas, the water, all of this is within your property. What you're going to do with this property, it's all within your responsibility. That's a boundary line. It's just a line that says, here's where I begin. Here is what I am responsible for. It's a property line. Proverbs 4, like we said at the beginning of this talk, he said, guard your heart. Your heart is a property line. Everything inside of that. A boundary protects everything. Lynn and I were outside yesterday at our uh, home and a big buck deer and, and a doe had walked through and so um, our dog who's about seven months old now uh, I whistled him out of the garage and so he comes out of the garage and it took him just a few seconds and he smells and he looks and he sees the deer 
And so he starts barking, 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 barking. And the doe runs away. But the buck's got a little heat running in his blood right now. And he's got a nice, oh, it's gorgeous looking. But I don't want him in my yard. They eat anything and everything. So he's, cha- he's barking at this, this, this buck deer. And so the buck deer plants his things and he's not going to move. So I get out uh, and I take a little snowball. <laughs> We're just making him feel as unwelcome as possible. So he finally starts to go away and down the property. So the dog. Uh, his name's Ranger. He, he starts going down the property line because I have one of those electronic zap callers if he tries to leave. Don't worry, he's got five acres to play in. So, you know, if he tries to leave, so he's going down the property. He knows where his line is. And he's protecting anything inside that. This big buck deer came back all the way back down and pretty soon it's like a standoff from me to charity over here. And so I take another snowball. <laughs> Thinking, where's my gun? No, I'm 10. <laughs> so it finally leaves the property. The dog quiets down. I want that dog barking whenever that deer comes into the yard so that I have something green growing I don't have to replace every shrub in the yard next year. You have a property line. And you got to know what you need to protect and guard and what's not welcome. I don't want that in here. That's a boundary. Now there's two key aspects of boundaries that you have to get right. The first one is love others without rescuing. This one's going to ride a little close to our hearts. Because somewhere in your relationships, you've had to make the decision, somewhere in this relationship, where you would either just love or where you would rescue. And they are not the same thing. Rescuing and enabling and codependency are not nearly the same thing as love because love says, I'm on your team, I'm on your side, but I'm not going to fix your problems. Galatians 6, 2 and 5, look at this. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then verse 5 says, each one should carry their own load. Now, as Christians, we are supposed to go the extra mile. We're supposed to give the shirt off our back to people in need. That's the Christian life. Sacrifice is part of it. But we need to explain this passage. He's really talking about carrying other people's burdens, about carrying your own load at the same time. He's saying, look, here's here's what it means. In the Greek, he's talking about when he says carry their burdens, like he's talking about majors. We're talking about like boulders that have come on. A back crushing boulder that this person can't carry alone. They need you. They've just lost somebody. They're going through a divorce. They're under a boulder, a medical condition. Or the kids are get, the kid got sick or a financial issue 
the house is go, gone under, or they lose a job, the, 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 the house is taken away. These are boulders. Deep set emotional trauma. That's a boulder. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens for some period of time until, until they can handle things themselves. That's not what the word in verse five means. The word in verse five is the word load in the Greek. It, it means, the word load in the Greek does not mean boulder. You know what it means? It means sort of like having a knapsack. Like when you go jogging or biking, uh, you got this knapsack. And it's got your daily rations, what you need. So what's in your knapsack? Everything that we mention in the guard your heart passage, your feelings, your thoughts, your values, what you cherish. Um, life goes well, folks, when you carry other people's boulders and crises you step into, but we don't take care of their knapsack. Life goes poorly when we start picking up other people's daily knapsacks and I'm going to live this, your values out for you. I'm going to live your emotional world out for you. I am going to actually take ownership and fix these things and make you feel good. God never intended for you to fix someone else's emotions, to fix even their financial problems, or to fix someone's bad attitude. How many here have ever tried to fix a miserable person? Amen. Have you ever tried? It can't be done. In fact, sometimes it actually makes things worse. Amen. Just doesn't work. So here's a question for you. Should they be doing it themselves? Is there something they should be doing themselves? Should they be getting a job? Should they be getting clean? Should they be getting sober? Should they be getting rid of that bad attitude? Should they be getting an, a new personality? Should they be solving their own financial problems? Should they be doing that themselves? Because if you're going to say, yeah, they should be but you know they're not, then quit thinking you can. Love people without rescue. Second one is learn to confront in love. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. He's, he's just basically, you got to go have the tough talk. You got to be willing to have the tough talk. We need each other to tell each other the truth. You have blind spots. I have blind spots. One of the functions of relationship is to say, you missed a spot. You may not be aware of your tone of voice. You may not be aware of your behavior. You may not be aware of how you're affecting people. That's how we're supposed to love each other, to love in truth. What you're saying to this person is, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm, trying, I, I'm not trying to judge you. I, I want a better relationship. This is about us. I want a better us. I have to tell you the truth because of us. You're not a project to me. 
It works a lot better than a healing text, by the way. Confront each other in love. It's not being selfish. Some people say, this true stuff is selfish. It's about me, me, me. It's about making me feel better. It is not. It's not about selfishness that we tell the truth. It's about another S word, and that's the word stewardship. When I confront in love, it's not about me. It's about I'm trying to make a healthy me and a healthy you and then a healthy us. I'm trying to be a steward because God He's got something for me to do. And if I'm pouring my whole life down the drain with somebody who doesn't want to respond, I'm pouring everything down in a hopeless place. God has a plan for me that I never had time to do because I was out there rescuing. By the way, it's really easy. If you want to get these in and out relationships, you just maximize on this word and you minimize this to such a degree you don't have them and you're going to have all kinds of people want to be in relationship to you. They don't mind emptying your tank. Oh, we're doing, oh yeah, this is about relationship health. That's very important for us to understand what a healthy relationship looks like. Be a steward. Use grace and use truth and speak it really well and do it and fight for the us. But know that us can only happen when both people are showing up. Here's three very doable skills that you can do this very week. Learn how to deal with these relationships that can drive us nuts. you know, out of control relationship, anger control relationship, guilt control. Here's how you can make some things better. Start from a position of love. Start from love. Start from the position of, I really want this person to win. I I may be under them right now. They may be making me absolutely nuts, but by the way, you can love somebody. Is Is this true or not? You can love somebody and not like them. Have you ever found that? In fact, in marriages, you can have that, I'm loving you always, but right now I ain't liking you. <laughs> have you had any of those moments? If, if, you, if you haven't, Linda and I can loan you some. <laughs> like, I love you, but right now I ain't liking you. So, like, you want to start from love. You don't have to like somebody if they're unlikable. But you have to love them. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment that I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You think about it. God loved us when we were totally unlovable. Did he like everything about you? Absolutely not. Did he like all your choices? No, of course he doesn't like all my choices. Are you kidding me? We're supposed to love other people when they're totally unlovable. So you don't start off with, I'm going to fix them, change them, punish them. You start off with, this is best. I've got to do what's best. I want the we. The work we, the marriage we, the dating we, the friendship we. 
The we's not working. And I love you. You start with love. Second, say no when it's best to say no. Now that's a property line. Say no when it's best to say no. It's a good word. Jesus said, do it, and in fact, Matthew 5, 37, all you need to say is simply yes or, can we all say that word together? Yes or? Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. He's saying when you don't have comfort levels swinging from yes or no, you're leaving a lot of ground where the enemy can have his way. You, by the way, if you're not good at saying no, you are really, really the perfect target for telemarketers. <laughs> you're picking up all those calls. They, 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 they let everybody else know, by the way, they have to, because... They have to. So, you know, let everybody else know, hey, these guys actually answer the phone on these things. I can keep dialing, just redial. They'll dial you from 30 different countries. Anybody get all these dials from 30 different countries like it's coming in from? How many get that? Oh, good. I thought they just targeted me. All right. Telemarketers, you're going to have like, you're going to end up with 18 microwaves and 47 insurance policies. The word knows a good word and God says use it. Let it be yes, let it be no. Anything beyond that, that's, 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 that's where the evil one's gonna do his deal. It's a healthy thing. In fact, that's how God answers our prayers. Yes, no, wait. What do you do when people say no or you, when you say no, sorry, and, and when, when you say no and they don't accept your no? And they go, well, why? Whether it's money being asked for, your time, your energy, or whatever. Here's five really good words to use. You ready? This is like a little bit of magic words for you. You just say this. That doesn't work for me. Okay, we're gonna try this. Okay, ready? So somebody's saying, okay, uh, I want you to fix all of my financial debt problems and pay them all off today. Okay, answer, of course you want to say no, but let me give you the five magic words. You ready? That doesn't work for me. Oh, come on. You ready? One, two, three, all together. That doesn't work for me. How do you argue against that? Now, if you say no, they want to say, well, Why? Easy. That doesn't work for me. But just this once, come on. Fix this for me. Come on, I need you, God. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. Your tone of voice just doesn't work for me. Those hurtful words, that doesn't work for me. Your inappropriate behavior, that doesn't work for me. So first, love them. Second, you've got to use your words. And third is give consequences if necessary. Sometimes you've got to go beyond saying no to doing no. So you've got to 
move it to actions. Proverbs 19, 19, a hot-tempered person may, must pay the penalty. Rescue them and you'll have to do it again. Whoa. Anger management person, rageaholic, uh, you keep bailing them out, they just keep returning. They're just going to keep doing it again because, frankly, they just keep rescuing me and it actually works. There's going to be a certain percentage of the human population that's going to disregard your words. They're going to disregard your vulnerability when you say that hurts me. They're going to disregard warnings like this is going to go to a bad place. They will disregard your steps to health. They will disregard anything you say. What they tell you is I don't care about your words. Words don't change me. The only thing that changes me is pain. Your words aren't going to affect me. All that affects me is pain. Then you have to say, then I have to help you go to God's school of discipline in Hebrews 12. Where it says, all discipline brings forth the peaceful fruit of righteousness. They're telling you words don't count. The Bible calls that foolish, by the way. Don't be foolish. Let words change you. Don't let pain change you. You don't want the pain. You don't want to live that model for your life. You can stop the pain. But there are people that are going to say it's got to be pain. They've given you a path. They're asking for pain. So what is pain? Here's, here's pain. It's not mean to do this. So you might bring pain by saying, if you continue this behavior, I'll leave the room. If you continue this behavior, I might have to leave the house. If you continue to talking to me this way, I'm hanging up the phone. If you continue behaving this way, I'm not going to be able to give you my money or my time or my energy or my very heart. It doesn't work for me. That's the consequences part. Now let's finish with a little hope here. Because to do boundaries, you gotta be leaning into truth about yourself. You do need to guard your own heart. You do need to accept that you are responsible for what's inside your property lines. That you have been given some fantastic stuff and dreams to take it somewhere and you can just eat it up in life playing God for other people. Or you can actually decide, this is what I have control of. This is what I will steward. Relationships can come to great restoration points. I've seen it many times. Where things don't just blow up. Whether it be friendships, whether it be parenting relationships within family, whether it be marriage in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, I don't think I have this one on your outline, but here's a great scripture. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive, strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. God is with you. God wants to help you in this relational world that can drive you absolutely nuts. God is into restoring relationships through transformation, which is truth and grace working together. Something transforms. The worm becomes a butterfly. 
You can see reconciliation where there, there they've gotten together and, and it, they've come together just like the cross does between us and God. But it needs to work horizontally too that it brings us together in reconciliation. Now you can start to see restoration. But each of these can only happen when we are in a place where truth and grace really are in balance and accepted and practices within the relational world that we're living John Townsend tells a story that I thought was very appropriate and I want to read it for you. He said, my wife and I were having dinner with a couple, friends of ours recently. We asked how the kids were doing, what's going on. They said, we've got a story. Our college-aged daughter, her trolley went off the tracks. I mean, hard partying, partying, lots of drinking, drugs, and lying about it, which is probably the worst part. Lots of partying, lots of drinking, lots of drugs, then lying. We did everything we knew to do. We had talks with her. We warned her. We told her how it made us feel. We brought her to the research that says you're going to lose your life. We told her what the Bible says. And she lied and lied and lied about it. When she didn't lie, she said we were being lame for being so strict. <laughs> Ever been there? They lie about it and then they tell you you're lame when you catch them. Welcome to parenthood. Finally, the lying wouldn't end. She was home for the one month winter recess. They caught her in another lie, a bad one. They went to her and said, you've got to leave. She said, what? You have to leave the house. We don't have drugs in the house and we don't have lying in the house. You, you have to leave. She goes, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, you have to leave within two hours. What? Where will I go? I don't know. You're 19. We'll talk to you later. We'll talk to you about your behavior and about your lying. And we'll also we'll talk to you about your college education and what might happen there. You've got two hours. The girl was stricken upside down and thought she had the meanest parents in the world. But she left within two hours. Hardest thing they'd ever done in their lives. They cried. They wept. Their hearts were broken. But they knew they had a problem. 90 days later, she calls him. She'd been couch surfing. Anybody know what couch surfing is? Not a sport. It's a lifestyle. She'd been couch surfing and it had gotten really, really old. She called them and she broke, she broke. She said, I'm so sorry. I get it. I was wrong. I've been lying to you guys and it's my fault. I want help and I'll do anything. I'm listening to you guys. I'll live the way you want. They brought her back. But you don't just take somebody back and it's all perfect now. They had very tough meetings. Guess what? The relationship is transformed. She's, she was back in her academics. She got her faith back. The lifestyle had gotten a lot better. She's got better friends, cool friends. And they told us if we hadn't said no, if we hadn't set the consequences, she'd be way off the tracks. The hardest thing that you're going to do in any relationship is not servanthood, believe it or not. It's boundaries. This is hard enough servanthood. But there the self-centeredness can show it. You can work on it. Boundaries is hard because you're saying, here is my property line. That doesn't work for me. 
Now you've got capabilities to build something good. We're not used to hearing, yeah, say no. There's yeses and nos in life and yeses only count if there's also nos. In the relational world, and I finish with this today. In our relational world, if we are not incorporating yeses and nos, then our capability to just do life is greatly diminished. And you want to have potentials for the us's of life. But for that to happen, you have got to be able to draw your property line and to say, this doesn't work for me. Would you stand with me, please? Vertical grace, horizontal grace. Truth lived out with yeses and nos. The ability to fight for the us. To truly fight for us. It doesn't have to be done in nasty ways. It has to be done in truthful and gracious ways. It has to be done consistently. And it has to be done firmly. But when we do that, whether it's a parenting relationship, sibling, a work relationship, marriage, or whatever it may be, when we do this, God will work through the truth and the grace that you bring. Your relational health is as good as the horizontal truth and grace that you're bringing. He gives it to us all vertically. Does God ever tell you the truth? Ever get a tough thing from God? But doesn't it amazing how he also, he's always for us. He never, ever, ever is going to turf us. When we start understanding that vertical process is about also taking up horizontally and owning that process, we can build amazing, healthy relationships. Father, we need health. We need health in our relationships. And all of us know the struggles that I've just talked about. All of us know how difficult it is to serve, to have a servanthood that is putting another person before ourselves in so many ways, but at the same time, to draw boundaries and guard our hearts. Father, I pray that your wisdom would just come into those little specific parts of every life that's represented here, where right now we have these kinds of relationships. And may we, Lord, ask as we do that for your help and your strength and start doing some of the things that we can and start with love. And say no and yes. And to draw consequences. Give us that kind of courage so that we can fight for the we's of life. For the best of what relationships are intended to be. Where truth and grace balance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. 
If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.